0: I've had a kind of
1: ongoing soundbite in my head since the season started taking shape. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. If we step back and look at Christmas, what it is, how we got here, what it means, you know, really look at it. What happens? Does it change? Yeah, I'd say there's no doubt that the holiday is going to seem to change. But how? Does it get better? Does its meaning change? Could the holiday we know disappear completely? Man I would hate that to happen. To tell a story that takes away something you know anything from Christmas but I don't think that means that we can't ask the question what is Christmas I started looking into Christmas because I thought it was a simple story something ancient something that's maybe been oversimplified but cohesive linear but maybe that's not true maybe our Christmas comes at us from the side you know someplace we'd least expect and maybe the way we actually celebrate, you know, without thinking what just happens every season, maybe that's closer to why we have Christmas at all. This season, we're gonna figure out why we celebrate Christmas. And if that changes your view of the holiday, stick with me, because on the other side, maybe that's where the true Christmas magic begins. Welcome to Creating Christmas, season two. where I grew up, there is this urban legend. A sort of whisper the kids shared as the year moved closer to the holidays. It might have started with someone saying it outside in the parking lot, but by December, this whisper made its way inside our church, in the Bible school. Well, you know Christmas? It started as a pagan holiday. Now pagan... That's always been a tricky word for me. Its negative connotation always seems to outweigh its pretty vague, non-judgmental definition. So hearing this rumor back in high school, it was too tempting not to repeat. You know, throw it in the faces of the adults that acted like they had everything figured out. Now, like all urban legends, this myth had a way of disappearing and reappearing every year. I might have been the one that brought it back one season, a night in early December. And when I did, man, Christmas started as a pagan holiday. That wasn't my opening line to a larger thought. It was the entire statement. I said it, but I didn't really believe it. I didn't believe it because how could I? Christmas is Christian. It's right there in the name, right? Now, I don't know. Because, you know, every story has two sides. And this one has even more than that. When we look back at the roots of modern Christmas, what we find is something so different from our current celebration. Nothing like it really at all. Its roots are completely crazy compared to today. Totally wild. And if we try and find a linear path from these older traditions, does one even exist? Or is our Christmas story really the story of a 100 faded traditions finally running into something that we created ourselves? So today on Creating Christmas, part one of our two-part series, Making the Holiday the World Needed.
2: Go. It's gonna be alright if you just
0: hold tight, but you have to wait until tomorrow. You know
1: Consider Christmas. You have to first consider the long cold darkness of winter.
0: All the complicated details of the attiring and the disattiring are completed. A liquid moon moves gently among the long branches. The wise trees stand sleeping in the cold. No more the scarlet maples flash and burn. Steel blue river like a scimitar lies cold and curved between the dusky hills. The frost performs its secret ministry. The olds cry came loud and hark again. Loud as
2: before. Sharp is the night, but stars with frost alive leap off the rim of earth across the dark.
0: What
1: freezings
0: have I felt? What dark days seem cold? The cold. with the glimmer of light between. Then I, entombed for an hourless night, with the world of things unseen. Then lift your
2: head and bark. It's just just the call of the the lonesome place. place. Oh, winter. Winter. Lo, now the direful monster, whose skin clings to his strong bones, strides o'er the groaning rocks.
0: He withers all in silence, and in his hand and clothes the earth, and freezes up frail life.
1: This idea of winter, of starting there, it changed the entire way I was looking at our holiday season. I've been looking at it like this. We can trace back our Christmas holiday to when it breaks down into just a series of traditions, and we can start there. Or we can go even further back to when those traditions dissolve into just general celebration, But if we go even further back, back to a time when all that remains is a series of stories, to when so little was known about the world, almost beyond what can be studied, there was winter. And we can start there. This way of beginning our Christmas story really got me, so I had to reach out to the author.
2: I'm Bruce. I'm a professor emeritus of religious studies at Morningside College, although now it's known as Morningside University. Now this ancient winter, this was multiple thousands of years ago, and even though
1: much of that history is hard to trace, we can imagine the impact of the season on our ancestors by thinking about the effects of winter on us even today. Although we have all this technology, I mean sure we have heat and electricity, but we also have full spectrum light bulbs and therapist hotlines, and still, we are hugely impacted by winter.
2: Our college has May interims where we often travel, and I've led three student groups to Alaska. Every time we would spend some time in Willow, Alaska, this little village an hour and a half north of Anchorage, the rest of it is really undeveloped until you get to Denali. And we talked to this minister in a mission church who said uh, we were there in May, which is like when... Spring was about ending. He said, If you really want to know the challenges of Alaska, you ought to come here in December or January because that's when it, depending on where you are, you can have only three and a half hours of daylight a day. And you could, the temperature gets to 50 below zero even before you calculate wind chill. And he said, When I bring in seminary interns to work with me, I bring them in in December and January. Because that's when people need help. You can imagine domestic abuse, various kinds of addictions. You have all kinds of problems that people struggle with. And I thought, yes. And then my imagination gets going. And I think, what about people in Central or Northern Europe in the Middle Ages? I mean, in a way, I think approaching winter is a little like walking into death. And you hope you'll come out on the other side. So if that, if I can see that about winter, I started to imagine, what would I guess that human beings would do to try to cope with winter? And I've got a good guess. Let's try to have a great big blowout midwinter party. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a good idea? And I could guess when it would be and what it would be like. So let's build a winter party. First of all, when would you have the blowout midwinter party? You'd have it when the, the days stop getting shorter and level out and they're ready to start getting longer again, which would be mid to late December. And what would it be like? It would feature lights, push back the darkness, because winter's not just cold, it's dark. So you'd have candles and burning logs and bonfires and anything like that that you could do. It would feature evergreens because when it looks like everything else has died, the evergreens look like life. And in fact, you could also feature other plants that not only stay green in the middle of winter, but bear fruit in the middle of winter, like mistletoe, like holly. And you would obviously have gatherings because winter separates people. So you'd have family gatherings or gatherings in the village tavern or something like that. You would feast. You would probably drink a lot. You would maybe dance and play games and maybe give each other presents. And then, guess what? That's exactly what happened.
1: This sounds reasonable. I mean, I can imagine it. Except, maybe this all feels a bit too simple, too easy. And I might not believe it, except, all these separate cultures and all these different places in Europe independently created these very similar midwinter celebrations. Right, right. And they were disconnected from each other, but they still kind of came up with the same ideas. Right. Simply
2: because it's it's the seasons that are the uniting factor. Yeah, It's not like, oh, we had committees in each place, and oh, wasn't it a coincidence that they came up with the same party? It's just that if you're experiencing the seasons, it just is natural that human beings, even in prehistory, would do something like this, and indeed they did.
1: There is one factor that we left out when we were building our party and it heavily contributed not only to the creation of these early midwinter parties, but it stayed an important cornerstone to this time of year for a very long time. And that's the harvesting of crops and the slaughtering of animals. It was right around this time each year that the last of the harvest was brought in. It was a time of abundance, something very rare in the world for thousands of years. There was an abundance of food and beer. Also with farming completed, there was less work to do so people had more downtime. All these things came together to give us a shape of these midwinter festivals. So, in its most raw form, this is where our midwinter celebrations began. Organically. Which gives us this question. And if this isn't just about the heart of Christmas, it's about something very close to it. If we think of our Christmas being in some way an ancestor of these first winter celebrations, is Christmas a human condition? And if it is, Look, I'm gonna ask something crazy here, but bear with me. If these really are human conditions, does that mean that Christmas is in all of us? I don't know. I don't know. But I can say that these simple homespun parties didn't stay that way for long. Our essential winter celebrations became something different as certain practices became repeated yearly. It was the start of winter traditions. And what I mean is, expected annual events that became attached to these midwinter gatherings, to the point that you could say, these were more than just parties. They were now holidays. While many cultures developed their own certain practices and beliefs around this time of year, we're going to jump ahead to the Roman times. By this point, there were two main European celebrations that stood out Saturnalia and Yule. They both had a large adoption, and most importantly, there's actually recorded history about the traditions and the holidays themselves. The evolution from these basic winter parties leaned heavily on the party aspects of early celebrations, and the shit they took looks very <laughs> different from anything we would now recognize as a midwinter party at Christmas. Are you ready to Some popular forms of Saturnalia celebration were drinking and making out, but there was also an emphasis on social inversion. It was common for people to cross-dress or dress as animals, masters and servants to change places where the master would serve their servant, and we had the appearance of one of my personal favorite aspects of the holiday, the Lord of Misrule.
2: A person uh, would select a servant and say, you're in charge for the day and you can do anything you want. And that meant that uh, other people who were in charge would have to serve the servant and the people that that servant chose. Uh, but it also, and I think this is where people just wanted to take advantage of their power, is they would make people do silly things.
1: You there, urchin, I declare you Lord of Misrule. Of uh, me? Well, roll in the mud, lick my shoe, and call me king. A merry Saturnalia to you as well, sire. Quick note, Misrule wasn't all this innocent, especially by today's standards. As you can imagine, when someone is encouraged to create mischief, things can get a little bonkers.
2: It was pretty licentious and lots of drinking and it was wild, but guess what? In that celebration, which was kind of early to mid-December, it had bonfires, it, it had greenery, it had presents, it had, uh, you know, these gatherings.
1: So even with these new, rowdier traditions, these celebrations were built onto the longstanding organic winter festivals and held onto those characteristics. They maintained one additional thing that is often left unsaid but underlines a bigger shift in our thinking. When we look back at Saturnalia and the other celebrations at the time, these were community events, out of the house, adult, group celebrations. The domestic aspect of celebrating that we now associate with Christmas was completely absent from these holidays. So here we are, in the golden age of Rome, with most of Europe celebrating a winter festival that is centered around abundance and excess. After the break, indulgency meets sobriety. Christianity steps into the holiday mix. Hey, yeah, so I spend a lot of my time researching So when I go out, the most important thing to me is to make sure I'm making the most of my time and, well, my money. It's what my wife and I have been focusing on for the last decade with our travel blog, Vagabond3.com. It's a family-friendly site where we share our tips and tricks and things, you know, we've discovered while traveling. And we travel a lot. My daughter is only five and she's clocked nearly 800 total flights. So, yeah, we get around. In case you're looking for something completely new, or just a weekend adventure nearby, chances are we were in the same place and have notes that you need to do it best. So check us out. Meet my wife and daughter at Vagabond3.com And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now we add in Jesus. First, the Roman Empire and its Saturnalia celebration spanned the time before, during, and for a while after the life of Jesus Christ, not to mention the many other winter celebrations that were spread throughout Europe spanning the same time frame. So to go back to myself in high school, man, Christmas started as a pagan holiday. Clearly there was an established celebration prior to Christianity that beat Christmas to Christmas. But what that was, well that would all change, right? Because
2: Jesus and birthdays. I think when I talk to audiences, one of the things that surprises the most is that the early Christians did not have a Christmas, or a better way to put it is they did not have an annual celebration for the birth of Jesus. Wait, what? Well, first of all, if you wanted to have a birthday party for someone, it would help to know the month and the day, wouldn't it? And we have no idea. Another problem is that the early Christians really believed that Jesus was going to come yet soon, even within that generation. So they weren't worried about setting up you know, annual celebrations or anything like that. A third one, which I think interest, it interests me a lot, is there was an early influential Christian theologian named Origen. I know that's kind of an unusual-sounding name. But um, Origen wrote about this, and he said, that Christians would not celebrate birthdays. That was just what the pagans, in other words, the non-Christians do.
1: Now I grew up in the Christian church and I might've said that Christmas had a pagan past, but this was hard for me to believe. Christmas just is Jesus's birthday, right? How could no one have ever tipped me off that what I believe was wrong? So I reached out to a friend who happens to be a pastor.
0: Hi, my name is Matt Kelly, I'm a United Methodist pastor, I also have a doctorate in uh, Biblical Studies from Emory University, and I'm just kind of a big Bible nerd.
1: Is Christmas actually Jesus' day of birth? Probably not. Oh, man. We're going to devote an entire episode to Christianity and Christmas later in the season. But there are a few things that we can't avoid talking about right now because this intersection of Christianity and winter celebrations has a major impact on the holiday, but maybe not in the way you might expect.
0: There's really no way of knowing exactly what date or time of year Jesus was born strictly based on the Bible. Uh, There are two different birth narratives Uh, in the Gospels, one in Matthew, one in Luke, they're both extraordinarily different, and neither of them give give a specific time of year.
1: Do you think any of this information is widely known? Do you think that the majority of people know that this December 25th date is not historically accurate, or do you think there's just a general belief that Jesus was
0: born on Christmas? I don't know that most people even ask that question, honestly. I think they just sort of roll with it.
1: Did you know any of this stuff growing up?
0: No, I think I started asking those questions um, probably starting at high school. Maybe when I started to understand, when I started to to really study the Bible more seriously, and then in college and, and and whatnot.
1: So, if this is news to you, it's probably also new information to many of the people you know. Let me ask you a question: As a pastor, do you think it matters that we celebrate a day for Jesus's birth on the day that He was actually born, or? Is it more that we're celebrating his birthday and any time we celebrate that, it is the
0: celebration unto itself? I think the very fact that we celebrate that he was born, that God has come incarnate into the world in a very powerful way is important, more so than the day of the year. Let me make an analogy to actually the, the, the place of Jesus' birth. So the place that Jesus is said to have been born is, is in Bethlehem, not far from Jerusalem. There's a place there called the Church of the Nativity. Uh, It's kind of in the center of town, kind of high up on the hill. And it is a place that was venerated as the place of Jesus' birth uh, for several centuries. But in the fourth century, the mother of the Roman emperor builds this church over the place in Bethlehem where people had, for a while, had been saying Jesus was born. And about 10-ish years ago, uh, I made a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and we visited a lot of these places. And the guy leading our tour at one point asked all of us, how much does this matter to you, if it happened on this exact spot or not? And that was a really interesting question. Do I care whether Jesus plopped out of his mother's womb on this exact spot that is in this grotto underneath the altar uh, in, in this beautiful ancient church where I can touch the stone? Honestly, not really. I'm not as concerned whether that is the exact spot, whether it was two feet there, whether it was another town, whatever. Going there and feeling the presence and and frankly the weight of the the generations of Christians who have venerated this spot, uh, who have come to this place to make it more real for them, has made it very holy. Whether historically it happened here or not, um, don't really know and I'm not as interested in that as the fact that this has become this place of deep meaning for people. So it, bringing it back around to your question of the date, I, I'm, I'm not as concerned about the date as I am about, well, what is it that we do as a people, as a community of faith, as a, maybe as even a whole culture? What is the deep meaning that we are accessing by doing this as this regular practice?
1: So here we have another question. To you, does this change Christmas?
0: And suddenly there was with the
1: angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Jesus' birthday was added to the Christian calendar in 354 AD. It's a bit unclear how exactly the church saw their new religious holiday working in a world that already had a rowdy winter celebration at the same time. That is, until Pope Gregory I, known as Gregory the Great, he made it real clear. As St. Augustine went out to spread the gospel, Gregory told him to essentially graft Christianity on the pre-existing customs.
0: The idol temples of that race should by no means be destroyed, but only the
2: idols in them.
0: Take holy water and sprinkle it in these shrines. Build altars and place relics in them. Thus, while some outward rejoicings are preserved, they will be able more easily to share in inward rejoicings. It is doubtless impossible to cut out everything at once from their stubborn minds just as the man who was attempting to climb to the highest place rises by steps and degrees
1: and not by leaps.
2: It never starts as a pure Christian celebration and then other things get mixed in. When it gets started, it's already fused with the midwinter festival.
1: So what did that mean for the types of celebrations that would happen? Did did that immediately calm down the celebrations that were happening? Or did Christian Christmas just become kind of a crazy holiday?
2: Well, I think it's from the beginning, it's always been kind of a struggle. It's like a compromise and you're trying to decide. There's one uh, author who says it's always been difficult for Christians to Christianize Christmas. <laughs> but, and so if I think if people today, like if they come from Christian background and they feel it's kind of a struggle of how to balance it, this should make them feel good because it's always been that way.
1: So we had the beginning of a religious holiday that relied heavily on pre-existing winter celebrations. It would actually be hundreds of years later in the 11th century, when the world would finally have a branded holiday. What we now celebrate as Christmas coming out of midnight masses named Christmass. Something else especially interesting about the 11th and 12th century is who the number one most popular saint was, more popular than the Virgin Mary. It was a bishop from modern day Turkey, whose legend included raising the dead and giving away bags of gold. His name was Saint Nicholas. <laughs> this brings us to the 16th and 17th century. Now most Europeans were celebrating Christmas in a more or less indulgent carnival style, which included heavy drinking, wassailing, sailing, gambling, kissing, more drinking, cross-dressing, and mumming. And these weren't fringe celebrations either. These were the sorts of things that happened at parties that King James I was throwing in the castle. So to go back to those struggles that Bruce mentioned, They came to a head in the 1600s. Protestants and specifically Puritans went on the offense and ended up with control of England and the English colonies for roughly 20 years. There's a second urban legend that you've heard passed around the parties. It probably has to do with this period, the Puritan period, when Christmas was canceled
2: for preventing disorders arising in several places within this jurisdiction, by reason of some still observing such festivals, as were superstitiously kept in other countries, to the great dishonour of God and offence of others, it is therefore ordered by this court, and the authority thereof, that whosoever shall be found observing any such day as Christmas, or the like, either by forbearing of labour, feasting, or any other way, upon such accountants as foresaid, Every person so offending shall pay of every such offence five shillings as a fine to the county.
1: So Christmas. Dead. Sort of. This period of cancelled Christmas all has to be tempered with a check on what this actually meant in the real world. First, there just aren't too many accounts of people being punished or fined for celebrating. Most of the legal side effects of this were courts not allowing charges to be dismissed because the person said they were celebrating Christmas and on the other end of things, there was a significant enough pushback against canceling Christmas in London that often shops had to close anyway to avoid angry crowds and riots. Secondly, I wanna point out that while this is going on in England and its colonies, the rest of Europe isn't following suit. Countries like France, Germany, and Sweden continued their annual Christmas celebrations, and not just in their home countries, also in their colonies. So why no Christmas? It's easy to assume the most obvious story that Puritans objected to passing out drunk, cross-dressing, and strangers making out. You know, Christmas parties. And to believe that it was this sort of celebration alone that led to them wanting to cancel Christmas. But we're actually dealing with something deeper here.
2: The story for that is that when the Church of England breaks from the Catholic Church, and this is in the 1500s, when all kinds of other Reformation stuff's going on, it first of all is just an institutional break. They're pretty much still a Catholic church. It's just the Pope isn't in charge anymore. The King is in charge. But there are some folks who are influenced by Luther and Calvin, mostly Calvin, say, well, now that we've done this, let's do it right. And let's get rid of a lot of that other Catholic stuff that we don't agree with. And they don't think that's really Christian. And those are people that we call Puritans. And so these Puritans, they would oppose a celebration of Christmas. Uh, People say, why? One reason was, they said, uh, we're trying to get back to the way the early church was, and the early Christians didn't celebrate Christmas. And by the way, they're right about that.
1: As I mentioned, this Puritan rule didn't last long. When the monarchy was restored, Christmas was reinstated in England. The colonies, on the other hand, tried to hold out, but eventually gave in to pressure from the crown. So we headed into the 1700s with a legal Christmas, but not much in the means of celebration. I mean, here we are, about 100 years from the explosion of Christmas, the beginning of a gigantic holiday, the size and scope of which the world has never seen before. And barely anyone is celebrating.
2: Even though the Puritan Revolution was only successful for a period of time, their discouragement of Christ- Christmas kind of had lingering effect. I mean, you had a whole generation that didn't have much of a Christmas, and it continued on so that it almost became the lost or forgotten holiday. For about 150 years, Christmas almost goes away.
1: So where does this help put us in the timeline of creating our Christmas? Well, Bruce has come up with a metaphor that I think is really helpful to understand just that.
2: It seems to me that many holidays, not all, but many holidays are in essence three-layer cakes. And to explain that quickly, the underlying first layer is a seasonal celebration For instance, celebrating the coming of spring or fall or whatever. The second layer is that religions or nations or some other cultural group comes along and adds a layer of meaning on top of the seasonal celebration that already has been practiced. And then thirdly, modern popular culture comes along, and I chuckle when I say this, and does all kinds of things to the previous two layers, But if you look at many of the holidays we have today, you can see those three layers.
1: So coming up in part two of The World the Holiday Needed, Christmas Goes Pop. When the world turns back to Christmas, it takes less than a 100 years to invent and recreate the holiday from nothing to become what we celebrate now.
2: But I think everything comes back roaring. It was really rowdy, and it was
1: rowdy well into the 19th century. It involved a lot of connecting the dots, some historic amnesia, and a few books that would change the world forever. Creating Christmas was produced this week by me, Bobby Christian, and in Oversaturated Inc. Special thanks to Bruce David Forbes and his book, Christmas, A Candid History, and a Matthew Kelly. Also, that last voice you heard was historian and author Judith Landers. You'll hear more from her in the next episode. This has been a team effort. Check out the website creatingchristmaspodcast.com for a full list of the sources I found most helpful in discovering the roots of our Christmas. In fact, check out that website for all sorts of cool episode extras. If you like today's episode, you'll find a new one every week all the way till Christmas. And if you have time, rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choice. I hear for every new review, an angel gets its wings. I'm Bob Christian, and until next time, stay jolly.